the Nuffield Department of Medicine has teamed up with Science Oxford Live for their healthy season. Professor Chaz Boucher tells us how medicine works, why new drugs are so expensive, and what we can do to address the cost issue. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Good evening. It's little boy and little girl as well, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, in the next few minutes, I'll just say a few words about three things. Firstly, what I see as the situation in drug discovery. Secondly, what I think is the fundamental problem. And thirdly, what are we in Oxford trying to do about it? So firstly, in terms of the situation, and I think Stefan's done a great job, and it's always hard following this guy, actually. Um, but the situation is the following. Society is increasingly desperate for new medicines. And I mean novel medicines. I don't mean another non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. I don't mean another tricyclic antidepressant. I mean a completely novel medicine with a completely novel mode of action. You know, if you think of pain, for example, there are patients out there with neuropathic pain who are so desperate that they are taking anticonvulsants and they're taking tricyclic antidepressants. If you think of bipolar disorder, in 1949, patients were taking lithium. In 2013, they're still taking lithium. In the UK, in 2050, 29% of society will be over the age of 65. And of course, over the age of 65, the incidence of dementia, of cardiovascular disease, of cancer, they go up almost exponentially. I was in Japan a few weeks ago, and in Japan, that figure, so the number of people over the age of 65 in 2050, is 41%. We're saying that in 2050, almost one in three, and in some places getting close to one in two people, are going to be over the age of 65. The NHS in this country can barely cope with our aged population today. How on earth are we going to do it in 20, 30 years time when frankly it's my turn? So that, that's a big problem. Society is desperately in need of novel medicines. The second thing is, and Steph touched on this, the costs of drug discovery are just spiraling out of control. There was an analysis done last year, where done by Forbes, so what they did was they looked at a number of pharmaceutical companies. They looked at how much money they spent on research and development over five years. And they looked at how many drugs they actually delivered to the market in those five years. So AstraZeneca spent close to $60 billion in five years. And in five years, they delivered five drugs. $12 billion a year on average to deliver a new drug. The best company in that analysis was Amgen, and even they were three and a half billion. And many of these drugs that were counted as novel, they are not completely novel. They are basically a new formulation or another non-steroidal or whatever. They are not novel as the sort of drugs that Steph and I are trying to develop. So the costs are just getting crazy, completely spiraling out of control. The pharmaceutical industry in the UK, 
bear in mind the UK has had a brilliant track record in drug discovery. The pharmaceutical industry in the UK, frankly, is pulling out. In the past decade, we have seen Pfizer close a massive research site in Sandwich. At one time, they had 7,000 people working in Sandwich in Kent. That site is now shut. In GSK, there was a big research site in Harlow, where I used to work. That site is shut. Merck used to have a research site in Harlow. That is shut. AstraZeneca had a research site in Loughborough. That is shut. Novartis have a research site in Surrey, and last year they announced they were going to cut it by half. The pharmaceutical industry is pulling out of the UK. Now, in terms of delivering novel medicines, what we need to do is we need to hit novel proteins. So you're all aware that in each of us, there's more than 20,000 proteins. And when we come up with a new drug, what we do is essentially modulate the function of one of those proteins. That's how we discover these drugs. And these, these drugs, either they inhibit that protein or they increase its activity or whatever. But that's what we do. Now, in drug discovery at the moment, most of these proteins that we work on, these ideas that people are working on in industry and in biotech and in academia, most of these ideas, when we take them into patients, they fail. So we come up with an idea, we spend five, six, seven years coming up with a molecule that's potent and selective at this particular protein. After five, six, seven years, we go into patients, nine times out of ten, they fail. Can you imagine spending six, seven years of resource, people's careers, and the failure rate after that is 90%. And last year, I was at a, a meeting of the heads of R&D in Pharma in September in London last year. And Ishmael Kohler, who is the head of R&D at UCB, said that he's done an analysis recently, and for novel proteins, the failure rate is actually 95%. Would any of you invest your money in that industry, knowing that nine times out of ten, after six, seven years, it's going to fail? What makes it even more tragic is that all these companies, they work on exactly the same protein in parallel and in secret. Because everybody reads the same literature, they go to the same conferences, they talk to the same opinion leaders, they start their internal efforts in secret, in parallel, and again after six, seven years, they go into the clinic and they fail. So now just imagine what's happening at the moment in society. We're wasting all of this money, we're wasting all these people's careers, and we're wasting patients. Because frankly, the way we're doing drug discovery today, we are exposing patients to molecules that other groups already know are destined for failure. Because people don't publish their failures. This is ethically and morally wrong, and we need to change it. So, drug discovery, incredibly expensive, incredibly high risk, takes a lot of time, is wasteful in terms of people, it's wasteful in terms of money, and ethically, it is wrong. Why, why is it so difficult? 
I often say drug discovery is a lottery. And it is a lottery if after six, seven years, nine times out of ten it fails, it's a lottery. It's a lottery because we do not understand human disease. Our knowledge of what causes Alzheimer's, what causes schizophrenia, what causes depression is very, very poor. So it is a lottery, we're just shooting in the dark actually. For many of these diseases, we do clinical studies and we don't have a good readout. How do I ask a depressed patient if they are less depressed today than they were a week ago? How do I ask a patient with dementia whether their memory is getting better today compared to a week ago? These are the challenges we've got. There are drugs out there that we all use. We don't even know how they work. Paracetamol. We all take it. We do not know how paracetamol works. Can you imagine how many decades we've been taking paracetamol? If we don't know how existing drugs work, how can we design better ones? So what are we doing in Oxford? I think Steph and I are very lucky in Oxford. With the support of the most senior people in this university, and by senior I'm talking about Andrew Hamilton, who I'm sure many of you have met, he's the Vice-Chancellor. Uh, Sir John Bell, who's the Regis Professor of Medicine. Alistair Buchan, who's the Head of the Medical Sciences Division. Peter Ratcliffe, who's Head of Clinical Medicine. With the support of all of these guys, what we've decided to do is the following. We've decided our job as academics, it's not to worry about IP. It's not to worry about making money by selling IP. Our job, frankly, as academics, is to train the next generation and do whatever we think is right for society and the economy. So what Steph and I have decided to do is we've said that everything we do, every reagent we generate, every bit of data we generate, all the knowledge we generate, we're going to share it with the world freely, no IP, and immediately. By doing that, we will reduce this horrendous duplication and wastage. As a consequence of adopting this attitude, we're not going to take out IP, we're going to make everything freely available and immediately. What's happened? You can imagine every academic who comes into our office wants to work with us because they know We've got these novel tools, these novel reagents. We've got, we share all of our know-how. We share all of our expertise. We've got no secrets. Steph and I aren't keeping all the best things to one side because we're setting up a little biotech to look after our retirement. And frankly, that sort of transparency is brilliant for creating trust. It's brilliant for collaboration. It's brilliant for science. And it's brilliant for drug discovery. Now what's happened is, we now have a network all over the world of more than 250 academic labs that we are working with closely. And as academics, I don't have to pay another academic to collaborate with me. You can imagine if I'm sitting inside industry, for me to work with one academic, I would have to fund uh, that opportunity. So we've got a massive academic network. Because we're not taking out IP, 
we've actually now attracted collaboration, partnership with eight of the largest pharmaceutical companies on the planet. These companies are GSK, Pfizer, Novartis, Lilly, Abbott, Takeda, Boehringer Ingelheim and J&J. These eight companies have each given us eight million dollars of funding. We have 64 million dollars of private funding to do essentially what we call pre-competitive research. We're generating data, knowledge, making it freely available. If Steph and I were taking out IP, we would only work with one company. The third thing is, we've also attracted very significant public funds. So the lab that Steph and I work in, the Wellcome Trust, which is a big charitable organization funding research, they have put 50 million pounds into our lab. We are so lucky. We've got all this private funding, we've got all this academic network, we've got all this public funding. Now what's happening is that patient groups are coming to us and saying, look, we are absolutely desperate for new drugs. If you do this knowledge creation, which is what we're doing, we will help you recruit patients and you don't have to pay them. So when we do clinical studies, they will be cheaper and faster than GSK or Pfizer or Novartis could ever do. Secondly, the regulators, so the FDA and the European Medicals Agency, they are saying to us, because this is a knowledge creation endeavour, they will help us design new types of clinical studies to help us validate new biomarkers, to help us pave the path for new targets. So what we're doing is we're saying drug discovery is practically impossible going forward for any one organization. The only way forward, if we really want novel medicines for patients, the only way forward is we've got to bring together the best. It doesn't matter whether the best is in Oxford University or in Harvard or in Pfizer or in GSK. We need to bring together the best. We need to do it quickly because there's an urgency. Let's forget about IP. Let's break down these barriers that are slowing down drug discovery. Let's pool our resources. Let's pool our expertise. And then we have a chance of delivering a drug for patients. I'll leave you with this one comment. Last May, I went to a uh, meeting in Washington. And this meeting was organized by Francis Collins and Kathleen Sebelius. So Francis Collins is the secretary, um, sorry, is the in charge of the NIH, the National Institute for Health Research. So basically he has a budget of 30 billion dollars to spend on research, largely in the US. Kathleen Sebelius is the Secretary of State for Health in the US, so she reports into Obama. They organized this meeting in May last year in Washington and basically what came out, you're, some of you are probably aware that in Alzheimer's, a hypothesis that everybody's following, or many labs have been following, is that there's this protein called amyloid. It accumulates in the brain, and that's what causes cognitive decline, loss of memory, dementia. So what everybody's trying to do is to stop the production of that protein, or increase its clearance from the brain, and or you know, just remove it from the brain, etc. And we've now been working on amyloid 
for 29 years. 29 years. As a biomedical community, we've been working on that amyloid hypothesis for 29 years. Collectively, if you add it up, how much money we've spent in academia, in biotech, and in pharma, the figure is more than $30 billion. And we still don't know the answer. Frankly, we are not even close to having a new treatment that's going to slow down the progression of Alzheimer's. If we're going to stand any chance of coming up with a treatment quickly, we need to completely transform the way we do drug discovery. And that's what Stefan and I, with the help of some of our colleagues in this room, are trying to do here in Oxford. Thank you very much.